Welcome to the Science of Psychotherapy podcast with your hosts, Richard Hill and Matthew Darlitz. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. My name is Matthew Darlitz. I'm the editor-in-chief of the Science of Psychotherapy and I'm here as always with Richard Hill, managing editor and good mate and guy who does pretty much everything else. <laughs> general, general fantastic guy. No, I know yes. he, he, he has to keep pumping me up or otherwise I, I won't turn up. <laughs> uh, no, it's great. It's great to be here as always, Matt. And and I know, but occasionally we don't. Occasionally, uh, uh, you know, we're busy and, and it's just mm. me flying the ship or you flying the ship. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, but we do manage to get there. And this is just, I was thinking this morning, uh, uh, just as I was driving in, you know, my ongoing education and keeping up with stuff. Am I really, uh, you know, doing the things I need to do and I thought, of course I am. I'm doing I'm doing a podcast for someone really interesting at least every week. We're you know looking at magazine articles and we're working. And I almost think of myself as as not doing enough. But I right. probably, you know, we probably yeah. do seven or eight hours of of new learning every week. Uh, of course, we're we're processing that and doing mm. other bits and pieces mm. in the business. So yeah, and it's yeah. fabulous. Another so- bit of great learning today. Yeah. So on that point of learning, look, if if you need um, continuing education points or, or professional development points, and then jump across to the scienceofpsychotherapy.net. That's our academy site. And uh, we've got a whole lot of uh, course material there for you, in, including our monthly magazine, which you can, as a member, you can read and answer some questions. And there's a certificate attached to that as well. Yeah. And we're finding lots and lots of people are putting in our certificates to their associations and getting uh, very healthy CEU uh, recognition for it. And, uh, you know, if you do put a certificate in and you and you get recognition, send us an email just to, so we can, mm. we know who's doing what. And also if you don't get it accepted mm. so that perhaps then we can write to them and, uh, yeah. uh, and explain to them the depth of what we do because CEU points are very valuable and important in our association, you know, maintaining our professional associations and insurances and so on and so forth. But it's also really vital just for our our humanity as practicing therapists. So jump on. We, uh, we've got a uh, hopefully a very reasonable price on a very extensive catalogue. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, Richard, uh, we're going to be revisiting uh, Jonah Paquette. Oh, this. great. Love Jonah. Yeah. So he's been very busy since we um, talked to him last time about his book, Awestruck. And uh, so he's got a new book. We'll talk about his new book and um, some other things that he's doing. But just a great guy to catch up with and, and have a chat about recovering joy. And we will catch up with all the things and opportunities that people around the world can can find Jonah doing. So uh, off we go to the wonderful United States. Hey, Jonah, thanks so much for joining us once again on the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. Great to catch up. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, I, I was telling you offline before, but you, you two are two of my favorite podcast hosts that I've had the pleasure Aww. of meeting. So I'm really, I'm pumped to be back anytime. Well, thank you very much, Jonah, and uh, it's goodbye from us. Yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. oh, that was, no, but it, uh, I'm so glad that that you you enjoy the experience uh, uh, as well, because we know our listeners uh, have a great time, and, and we we have quite a few uh, who tune in every week. 
But we've we've wanted to bring you back, China, because um, uh, you have not you have not rested on your laurels, uh, and we certainly had that that wonderful book last time, Awestruck, which was uh, great. I mean, of course, my favourite topic, wonder and curiosity. Uh, but you you've been keeping on things. You've set up yourself a great website. You've got a fabulous newsletter. We we catch that uh, uh, when that comes out. And but we want to talk about that, the website, a couple of other things, but the new book. Yeah. Just out in December, happily even after. What a great title! So, Matt, what what will we do? Will we just just let, oh, let Jonah talk Jonah for a bit about stuff? Jump in, tell yeah, us about the book. Tell us what happened. Yeah, Give us the sure. build up and we yeah, how you got there. Yeah, and I, I appreciate the, uh, the the kind words about the title, and hopefully the book lives up to the title. But um, but yeah, you know, I think last time we spoke, um, we talked about how for years, I've always been really interested in the other side of the coin, not just misery, stress, diagnoses, pathology, but also, you know, who are we at our best? And how do we find fulfillment, meaning, purpose, and happiness? Yes, um, in this, you know, challenging life that that we all live. Um, and as I started to really dive into that more, and I was I was inspired, I would say, you know, during the pandemic, not to say the book has to do with the pandemic, but I think like a lot of us, you know, finding ourselves you know, going going through it on various levels mm-hmm. and thinking to myself, um, how can the skills for well-being, sort of these applied positive psychology principles that I've written about and talked about previously, do they apply during times like this? Or, or should we put kind of a, a quarantine on happiness until the end of, you know, when things settle down? Um, and really, the more that I was d- digging into it, the more I realized that all these types of principles, like awe and wonder, which I do write about in this book too, but also like compassion and connection with others and, you know, have developing a sense of meaning and purpose and gratitude and all the rest are just as important, I would say, during the hard times. Um, and both the research points that out, but I think even in terms of just, um, you know, how we can find our way out of times of struggle, whether it's the pandemic or a loss or a breakup, um, you know, by by developing our capacity for these inner strengths. Um, so I was really struck by that. And I wanted to write something that, Yes, it was inspired by the pandemic, but I want it to be just as relevant for anything that life throws you. Because if there's one guarantee for all of us is that life's going to knock us down. And how do we get ourselves back up and flourishing and and being at our best again so that we can face the challenges of life from a place of resilience? Uh, That was really what drove me to write uh, happily even after. So yeah, the book has about uh, 12 core principles and every chapter covers on a different one um, with some practical, I think, practical strategies that we can use to bring all those ideas to life. Yeah, you know, I, I think so important. I, sorry, Matt, I'll just quickly jump yeah. in, uh, just a comment, and then Matt's got a, a question to follow. The but, but, journalistic uh, family, journalists in the family, I mean, I'm always sobered uh, in a positive way by these wonderful journalists in war zones, in famine zones, in uh, flood zones, uh, uh, going around and the people will say, oh, come, welcome to my house. Come come in. I'll, I'll see if I can find some food for you. Uh, and this sort of, uh, there's, the, there's people uh, who manage to find within the trauma the maintenance of their their joyous self, um, uh, or their connecting, their connected self. Uh, of course, equally, sometimes it becomes the trauma is too great, and the, and we become uh, destabilized. But it is that great effort, and we forget that people do it all around the world all the yes, time. All uh, the time. Yeah. Mm. So, sorry, mm. Matt. I just wanted no, to no, jump no, that no. one in. And I'll just add, 
point something out there. Yes. I, I write about that in, in my chapter on on resiliency and, and growth following hardship. But you know, it's a great point that we have examples of this all around the world of people faced with the most you know challenging things imaginable, who actually you know not only bounce back, but in many cases flourish. Um, yeah, we don't really study them in the way that we study the people with PTSD, for example. Yes. And I'm not, I'm certainly not saying we should study PTSD. We should, absolutely great life-changing treatments. But you know, there's about four or five times more people that experience post-traumatic growth than post-traumatic stress. Well, this was Barbara Fredrickson and doing yeah. the, the broaden and build. She said, wow. And when she got in there, she found that actually positive emotions uh, and activities were more difficult to pin down to one particular mm-hmm. outcome, yeah. uh, uh, which is like good. Yeah. <laughs> I have yeah, a positive emotion so. and I get a whole flow of things. So it's very Yeah, yeah. so that, that potential for growth, even though mm-hmm. the, the time is difficult, is... Uh, way beyond when we're just sailing through good times. And Joni, you said that, you know, you you feel like like the recovery of joy is as important during the hard times. I, I would argue that it's more important yeah. Um, yeah. during, during the hard times. And uh, mm-hmm. I think it's, it's fantastic that you've made it very pragmatic <laughs> because when we are going through hard times, you know, and we know from, you know, neurobiologically things shut down and we're, yes. we, it's harder for us to maybe be spontaneous and to, and so if we got a, a plan to follow, um, mm-hmm. then all the more brilliant um, for a plan to recover joy. Can you tell us a little bit more about the pragmatics of what you have in this book? Yeah, because uh, to your point, I think um, <clears throat> what I certainly didn't want was a really, you know, maybe an interesting, I would say, you know, theoretical case that someone, if they studied it, you know, in, in dense prose for 10 years, they might be able to glean some idea or two. I wanted to really have something where, like a philosopher, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> almost every chapter would include, you know, five, seven, ten different, you know, in some cases, single paragraphs, single prompts, one page, you know, exercises that we could do um, to cultivate those different skills. So as I mentioned earlier, we have about 12 different uh, core concepts that we cover in there, ranging from you know self-compassion to mindful awareness to uh, gratitude, awe, optimism, hope, and so forth. And really, you know, after a brief explanation and a a little snapshot of the research on, you know, how does this apply during the hard times, it guides the reader through a handful of different, just very, very simple, uh, low-hanging fruit of, you know, Mm -hmm. what is one way that you can foster gratitude today? What is one way that you could look out for awe and wonder, no matter where you find yourself in this moment? What is one small step that you could maybe take to connect with somebody um, who's in your life, but who you've maybe maybe drifted apart from. And, you know, recognizing too, that everybody's different, right? And we don't really know that, you know, what skills are going to really resonate most for anyone else. Um, And so for that reason too, I didn't want to just focus on compassion or just focus on awe. I really wanted to give this, uh, as I jokingly call it, like the buffet of options or the tasting menu if you're classier. Well, yeah, a uh, toolbox, yeah. yeah. To but it, yeah. but it's mm. really it's really important uh, uh, to have be, to appreciate the individual uh, resonance. So people might read the seven things and one or two of them only mm. light up, which is which is fantastic. Because sure. uh, you know, I was talking with a client yesterday, and mm. um, uh, I've I've been talking about things. Dan Siegel too. The yep. the uh-huh. sort of that uh, uh, edge of chaos, edge of rigidity, mm-hmm. and uh, one of the things that we talk about, uh, we also have it in our our book as well, Matt and mine. Uh, but talking about the need 
in rigidity for creative uh, increase, for a, a creative expansion. And then in times of, of chaos, we need that creative containment and sort yes. of regulation. And, uh, you know, it's it's the way you've got um, both going along beautifully in the book. And people will just, find when they're reading and they just go, oh, I didn't like one, two, and three, but I loved four. Great. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's the point. Is that the point? Uh, yes, the one I, I, I even from. tried to, uh, to to say that very clearly early on where I, yeah. I think I even will say you'll probably read some of this and find it doesn't apply to you, that it's cheesy, that you don't agree with it. Wonderful in that case. Just skip to the next uh, to the next mm-hmm. thing. We're not going for mm-hmm. that tug of war of trying to sell you on it. Because how, how could I could read a book that's great and they might have 10 ideas of it in it and if I resonate with five of them fully and two of them a little bit and three of them seem like nonsense, then that's great. You know, that's so, so I have to ask, do you mm-hmm. resonate with all of them yourself or, or do you, do you have, great and question. yeah. And, and if you don't, how did you go writing about things that you don't quite resonate personally with? Yeah, that's a wonderful question actually. Um, so what I tried to, and I would say the short answer is I probably don't resonate with each and every practice that I that I teach in there. And I'll give you like one example is um, I'm a big proponent of the importance of being present and cultivating kind of mindful awareness. However, I will admit here on air that I'm not the world's best meditator. Um, it's one of those practices that I kind of drift in and out of over the years. I have stretches where I have diligence about it. I wish that I was better about it, but I'm a pretty good mindful walker and mindful eater and sort of engaging in activities that are grounding to me where I'm exercising a lot of those same mental muscles, but not necessarily in in a formal meditation. So for example, I I will include some, you know, formal meditations in the book that I I certainly believe in them in, in that sense, but they're not things that I necessarily find as helpful as, as others. Um, same would go for for quite a few. There's some exercises in there that if a, if a therapist was asking me to do it, I'd be like, great, I'm pumped. And if a therapist was asking me some other ones, I'd be like, oh, I don't know about this. But really casting a wide menu. And, and what I tried to do is really, you know, leaning on, you mentioned people like Dan Siegel. And then there's, you know, there's Rick Hansen, there's John Arden. There's all these wonderful people that are doing interesting work in this space. So really kind of, kind of put the cart before the horse and learn of what has been shown to make a difference in these skills that I'm trying to teach and not have it be so much driven by, well, what do I like, but more what's out there that seems to work um, and kind of have that, have things guided from that direction more. Yeah. I think I, I mean, we applaud that because the, the, the one size fits all, uh sort of um uh ideology um is is damaging i think yeah. and sort of here are the three steps that will give <laughs> you uh this result and uh it, it, well i i know it's marketing um yeah, the, yeah. The, so the, probably the would sell more like books that. if i did that but uh... yeah <laughs> but but here's here's the here's the 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 seven steps per chapter that you can choose from is actually a much more honest and much more humanistic um mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and creative and wonderful uh, way of doing things. So 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 we like it. We like it. Yeah, and I think it's also just more. Yeah, as you said, realistic. And and I think we should always have humility, whether we're coming at it from a writer standpoint, whether we're a clinician standpoint. Is you know we're very good as a field, I would say, of knowing. Hey, on average, if I take a hundred people and I randomize fifty to do this, fifty to do that, I generally think you know these fifty might have better outcomes, right? But for an individual level, we're really not particularly good. I mean, I think that's actually a real growth area that 
our field of, of psychotherapy could stand to keep moving into is just to figure out, you know, whether it's based on personality, whether it's based on background, values, culture, I mean, you name it, there's all these, you know, things that go in that messy pot. Um, what type of a therapy, what types of intervention, what skills are going to work best for that person? I think it really behooves us to be curious, to be humble, to be flexible, to be willing to fail, and then, you know, try again with something else instead yeah. of pigeonholing, which I think, you know, sometimes if we're trained very narrowly, we can fall into, or if people become very big believers in that one thing, right? Like I'm a big act person or I'm a big DBT mm -hmm. person. And then mm -hmm. everything kind of gets seen through that lens that I think is runs risk as well. Yeah, which is a very reason why we are also in um, the you know the same space as you, the smorgasbord space. <laughs> we like provide a smorgasbord. Yeah, <laughs> the, yeah the, smorgasbord the, buffet. Yeah. This is all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, the, the very rich and and selected buffet. Uh, <laughs> but but it's interesting. I, I uh, people talk about the the, the rationalisation of uh, of stuff and. Uh, and the importance of that of making decisions and careful decisions. And, and I use the buffet example um, uh, of what we call an idiomotor response, just sort of a non-conscious implicit action that occurs, physical action. And you know, you're, you're walking across and along the, you know, past the, the cake buffet and going, oh, I really shouldn't eat all these things, or you know, uh, there's those things. But that hand somehow out of some strange thing, will just be reaching out and you'll go, oh, my. Um, and it's yeah. really interesting, um, as um, as my wonderful mentor, Ernie Rossi, would say, when we do these, these sort of idiomotor responses, these sort of implicit actions, that's fantastic. But then... Think about it, because that's why we had this wonderful prefrontal cortex, so we don't just start grabbing things and <laughs> and having great trouble. And I think that's um, that's the way that this book is really well appreciated. You know, where does the person, where do you find yourself reaching out, mm -hmm. and then you can take it yourself a little further. That's yep. interesting. Why am I yep. reaching out for that one? What else does that tell me? There's, I, I found that there was a whole. Uh, a sort of several layers, well, I suppose the iceberg beneath the water uh, mm -hmm. thing that, that you can then go through in, in, in what we sort of say deliberate practice, you know, yeah. a personal, personal ass uh, assessment. And how have you gone with feedback from people? Have you been managing to get some, uh, to get an idea of how they've been responding to the book? Yeah. I mean, so it's early days still, but, uh, but, but so far so good. And, and actually, I mean, like with a lot of people that both teach and write, like myself, um, the other thing that you know I think was a little advantageous and lucky for me was a lot of the different ideas that I cover in the book really were born out of not only like the previous writing and 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 research that I'd done, but even like what did I feel like was going over well and had gotten good feedback on in workshops and in yeah. seminars and things like that. So in some ways, you end up as time goes on, kind of writing more of of your books in that you know, beforehand, before they're even a book, it's kind of the ideas are, are germinating like that. But now I love what you said there too, by the way, of just, you know, so many layers and, and texture to this of certain ideas, concepts, themes are going to resonate more with somebody, but instead of just automatically going with that, you know, having that ability to check in with ourselves and sort of, and, and, and kind of engage that, that, that idea. But then on the other hand, through that deliberate practice, a lot of, and that's what I talk a lot about in the book too, is these initially clunky skills start to become much more deeply ingrained through that repetition, through that mm. habit 
um, and through that sort of in integration of it into your mind. And I always think about like driving. Like if you think about it, a lot of us drive, uh, and now you're you're like other side of the road down there, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very yes, weird. Of course. You, yeah. We're on the well, we're on the proper side of the road. Yes, the we're, side. we're on the weird side, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, every time I've ever had to drive on the left like that is tricky. But you know, driving is a good example because if you actually think about it, and the first time that you drove, whenever that was, it's actually really hard to drive. Like there's a lot of things that you have to do, even if you're just driving automatic, forget about it. And yeah. if you're doing manual, then that's a whole other ball game. But like all the things that you have to simultaneously be thinking about doing, monitoring, checking, it's a lot, right? And yet it's a skill that over time, most of us are doing each and every day so much so automatically that we don't even notice the road around us, which is kind of scary if you think too much about that. It, yes, it is. Yeah, <laughs> I remember I in driving in America and I'm coming up to a roundabout and everyone's flashing their lights and their horns and I'm thinking, what what are they doing? And then I, <laughs> and there's someone coming head on at me on the wrong side oh, of the road goodness. and then I realize, oh. I do a lot of talking to myself, you know, when I'm turning around, you know, I keep the middle lane, make it the middle next to you. To, uh, and But also, as as you're saying, you moved away from this, uh, I guess we call it procedural memory, yeah. um, where we get we get practical steps that that yeah. we that we do. But I think this goes conceptually as well. What you're saying, for example, our favorite thing talk about wonder and curiosity. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, curiosity certainly is something that that is consciously you know you can consciously choose to be curious about a particular thing that interests you yeah. but to actually be curious as a foundation as a fundamental uh, organizing rule in you know principle in your life uh, does change everything uh, and I think the, the the certainly going back to the uh, to the awestruck book that's that's a great one I mean we talk about it in some chapters in the in the books we do that this um Shifting of the the frame of reference, what I call the orientation of your perspective, uh, that I think is something that, as you're saying, once you do these practices often enough, you start shifting what underlies the foundational stuff, and that's the that's the point of that beautiful driving driving example. Yeah, and that's the aim with all of this, right? If I can go from a person who practices, you know, uh, gratitude to a grateful person, if I can go from a person that you know, consciously looks for that spark of curiosity to becoming a person that's just a curious person, yeah. uh, a person who sort of practices mindfulness on a, you know, whatever kind of basis to somebody who's present. Um, that's really the aim. And I think the more that we build those, you know, those neural pathways and those networks, the more that we activate those, the more that over time, it really just does become that baseline, which by the way, for listeners, I, I want to always be clear, like, it's not like you reach this point of nirvana where you know where it's just like everything else is easy from that point on and i'm oh, i'm just grateful and life rolls off your back when it's hard like that's the other thing i always try to write about and, and i certainly did and happily even after is you know life i I've, I've run a happiness class i should i'll back up for 10 years and we jokingly tell people and i write about this in the book for 10 years we've given the same little spiel at the beginning of each time we run it which we say we're going to give you one money back guarantee in this Life will continue to have moments that suck. Life will continue to have moments that are challenging. Life will continue to have moments that are really difficult, that knock us down. That's going to happen. The question is, how can we put ourselves in a position to respond differently the next time than maybe we do right now? Mm. Um, but there's going to always be those hard days. There's going to be, you know, being a happy, people will sometimes ask me, oh, you write about happiness. Are you happy? And I will say, sometimes. 
<laughs> I, I, I have a lovely friend on that just quickly, <laughs> an actor friend of mine, and, and you would say, you know, are you happy? And uh, he, he would he would say, well, I'm happy. I'm not happy, but <laughs> I'm happy. So, uh, and I, like I think that that variations and and happiness is a is is an emotional thing, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, but it's this framework of um uh the, the basis upon which you you move into things and uh, yeah. uh if our intention is to be happy if we do that from a i don't think i will be happy perspective mm-hmm. that's very different from dying i could probably mm-hmm. be happy uh given yeah. given the appropriate circumstances yeah you yeah. know because because yeah. what were you thinking there matt i mean there were some mm-hmm. things there i could see you the wheels turning in your oh, yeah, the wheels are always turning yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> i i i feel um as I get older that I'm feel more able to be satisfied despite the things that are thrown at me. Now satisfied probably you know could include happiness. Mm-hmm. Um sometimes it's kind of the opposite not allowing depression to overtake. Mm-hmm. Um and so I think we we talked about this last time Jonah the yeah. spectrum yeah. Uh, of of sort of the mode the mode that we're in and um and so i wouldn't want people to have the like you would obviously have all the time people have the false idea that we have to be oh, like you know sort of happy all the time and and that kind of feels a little shallow as well yes um, i have a we don't want to miss out on the depths of of what life offers as well mm. absolutely and sometimes uh, you know and i think this is actually, it's a whole little slightly different topic, but on topic, which is, you know, I write about this as well, where I think I have a love-hate relationship even with that word happiness, because it can evoke that very sort of shallow, flippant image in our mind. And and some people prefer well-being, some people prefer, prefer to talk more about contentment or meaning. And as I write about it, it's like some of the research on happiness is a little confusing because they're really talking about three different types of happiness there's like the hedonic happiness how are my emotions doing day to day hour to hour but that's actually the least important deeper down in terms of that foundation you've got contentment satisfaction mm-hmm. kind of when i step back and look at my life as a whole how do i feel about that and that is something that by the way does sort of get better with passing years like we tend to be feel more content typically on average and then third is that sense of like meaning purpose connection to something bigger and if you think about those last two, like, can I feel content and have a sense of connection to something bigger? That's not so much about like, am I feeling joyous all the time? Am I jumping on cloud nine? It's actually like a much more stable, secure place of like, do I get there through feeling present and grateful and connected to people that matter, doing things that matter, doing acts, you know, being kind to people, receiving kindness from others, mm-hmm. being good to myself, et cetera. Much more, much more of a stable. And I think accessible and achievable uh, direction to head instead of just focusing so much on the emotions as we sometimes tend to with this. Uh, yeah. So much wisdom coming out of a bloke with no gray hairs in his beard yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I have a confession to make just because you put me so at ease. I do have gray hairs in my beard, but oh. uh, I was recently being recorded for something and I thought to myself, I wonder if that just for men stuff to dye the beard a little bit just to, it w- would make me look good, um, which I haven't admitted on on air to anybody before. But 
Yeah, so, exclusive, oh, exclusive here. I don't even, I don't even bother growing it anymore. I just look like Harrison Ford on a bad day. You know, it's, it's dreadful. Um, people, people uh, give me money as I walk past them and things. But no, so, so this, yeah, this idea of of um, intensity, it, it's a it's a very Western idea of the importance yeah. of intensity, uh, as different from the 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 value of of um, foundational comfort. Uh, yeah. And I think this, and I was always, I've said it before, but comfort is such a fascinating word because it's based on on the, the root of the word um, to strengthen. And that actually comfort strengthens us rather mm. than softens us. Mm. Uh, and right. so these things you're talking about are, are, are so are so um, valuable in the way you talk about them. And this is why we, of course, support you know what, what you do. But people can actually get a bit of a look-see at this if they're in the right part of the world, because I was just noticing you've got a, a conference you're going to be attending in Canada where you're going to be doing some workshops. This is, mm-hmm. this is where, now that's going to be uh, online and it's also going to be in person in Canada, I believe. Uh, yeah. Seeing as how it's run by people in Canada, so I, I guess it is. Yeah. But just just tell us a bit about that. It's a, a mental health summit. I mean, these things mm-hmm. are uh, are going in. What what's your participation, and what sort of are you feeling about this um, uh, being in person, the attending, uh, uh, getting a conference face to face again? Yeah, thanks for asking, and um, uh, and for kind of giving me the opportunity to. to... Uh, plug, but hopefully in a non-obnoxious way. Um, <laughs> this, in a heavy uh, way. <laughs> I have been really, really grateful um, that some of, you know, as the world has slowly begun to open up more, that there's been a bit of a return uh, away from just doing kind of the exclusive Zooming that I've been doing the last few years with a lot of these talks to more in-person workshops, seminars, retreats in some cases. So, uh, that is increasing as we head into 2023. And if anybody happens to find themselves in in the States, you know, I've got things coming up in California, in Canada, just not in the States, obviously, in uh, Washington, D.C. in March next month, I'll be at the uh, Psychotherapy Networker Conference there um, and in Sedona and a few other places. So if you've got, uh, if you happen to be kind of in this part of the world, I know I'm still trying to make my way back to Australia uh, as I was lucky enough to do just before the pandemic for some talks, and hopefully that happens again. But but yeah, I'm, I'm thrilled that it's picking up again because there really is no replication. Uh, like on the one hand, I'm so grateful to be able to have done all the you know virtual uh, speaking, and I had a moment in the beginning of COVID thinking like, am I not? Am I just not going to get to do workshops anymore? And then luckily that has opened up a lot of doors virtually. But as the in person has started to pick up. Um, it's just been it's been a true delight to be able to reconnect. And you know, I talk about flow in the book, and, and I'm sure that that you're all love to think about that too. And to me, two of the activities that give me that flow state where an hour feels like five minutes are, you know, when I'm doing these kinds of workshops and as well as writing. Um, but for me, that, that those are definitely flow states. But yeah, I've got these uh, events coming up, including Canada, including DC. You can go to jonahpaquette.com for, for more of those information. But I'll be doing workshops largely on the types of topics that, that come up in my books, both awestruck mm-hmm. and happily even after. So I'll be doing uh, a, a talk focused on resiliency um, that sort of is a three-hour workshop for clinicians and finding resiliency through these types of skills for well-being. Uh, as well as uh, a course on awe and sort of the science of awe. And I love doing that one too, because a lot of the time, both audiences, whether they're public or clinicians, 
they know about awe, but they don't really realize, I think, still how amazing these moments are for us. So I love to talk about sort of the benefits, how we can sort of engage more of that in life. Uh, so mm. that's all coming up in the next couple of months. Uh, you've got a TED, you've got a TEDx too coming up? Yeah, is that, yeah. Is that live or? Yes. Um, thank you. Yeah, I forgot about that. Maybe I'm willfully blocking that out of nerves. But, um, yes, I was lucky enough to actually just give a TEDx talk uh, last weekend, actually, in Woodside, California. That one is behind me. Um, and that one talked about, uh, you know, essentially talked about mindfulness and gratitude as, as two pathways towards a, a meaningful life. But then in Sonoma, California, and, uh, it'll be held in a, town, a city called Santa Rosa, and this will bore the Australian listeners. But that one will come up in about four weeks, just about from now. And that one will be on Awe and Wonder. And it's a really cool event um, with lots of great speakers. There's going to be an astronaut there talking about wow. things. And I was really honored to be part of that. So that's coming up in March 4th, uh, Saturday, here in California for TEDx okay. Sonoma. So, so now we've done the the, the great uh, promos, which is great, and everybody get out and have a look. Can you give us a couple of uh, sort of specific tidbits, a couple of uh, uh, some nice little things, some takeaways for uh, for for our listeners and and viewers here in in mm-hmm. getting to that or state, or you, you know, utilizing yeah. and expressing those things. Yeah, great question. Uh, well, I'll give you the sneak preview of one of the things I really hi- highlight in this uh, in the talk on awe is how even though we tend to think of awe, I think we hear that word awe and our mind just jumps to these very, you know, major once in a lifetime moments, right? These flashbulb memories of seeing the Grand Canyon or an incredible, you know, view of the Milky Way. And I know that when I hear that word awe, it's very easy for my mind even to just immediately leap to that, being in the redwoods, whatever that might look like. But one of the main take-homes that I'm um, really trying to highlight in that talk, which I think all of us can keep in mind is, these moments don't have to be so rare. We we think of them as these sort of, um, you know, once in a blue moon type experiences. But really, if we think about it, and this gets back to even what, what you were talking about earlier, Richard, if, if we can start to look at our life in a new lens, right, bit by bit, we can actually see that we're surrounded by amazing, miraculous things all the time. Um, like one simple practice that I even mentioned in that in the talk is literally wherever you're finding yourself in this moment. You know, we're all where we are right now, but if you're listening a month from now, just literally stop, pause, look around wherever you are and notice how much in your, your field of vision, what can you see, touch, and feel that would have been completely futuristic and Jetsons-like and mind-blowing to somebody 50 years ago even, mm-hmm. let alone 500 or 5,000 or 50,000. We become so immune and sort of accustomed to these things over time, but in some ways, like we should all be walking around with wide eyes and, you know, saying, wow, constantly, because we are continually engaging with the the most amazing things. And just us having this conversation right now through this platform called Zoom in a completely different time zone. I mean, this is the kind of thing that even 50 years ago, I would have had to get on multiple legs of a plane, get yeah. to where you, just for us to have this face-to-face conversation. And now we're doing it in real time through a screen or the, the phones that we keep in our pocket having more computing power than what it took to launch the Apollo space missions back in the day, like m- constantly miraculous. So I think getting in touch with that is yeah. one way that like, no matter where we are, we can, and of course, you know, connecting to nature and, and you know, engaging in the arts. These are other, of course, pathways to all, but I always love to think about like wherever we are, there's awe all around us. Well, my, mm-hmm. I, this is great with 
I've got a five-year-old uh, grandchild, uh-huh. and even now the we've got another one who's uh, just coming up at six months. But I was with my little five-year-old grandchild, and we spent about a good half an hour with a, a, a outside a, a, a block of uh, apartments, and we went we knocked on all the the letterboxes because they all made different sounds. <laughs> and if you knocked on on number 12, 27, 32, whatever, you uh-huh. could make a little song, a little bit of music. Yeah. And, and it was fantastic. It was magnificent. It was it was tremendous. Uh and uh it was almost like as we left it, uh, she was walking down and saying, Is there is there another one? Do, do is there another set of where's another place? Yeah. So um the the simplicity of things is yeah. is uh, we we live on a, on acreage and uh, often you'll go walking around and I'm very very familiar um with the property now of course because mm-hmm. you know I'm on it all the time um but I'm wanting to get into macro photography mm-hmm. and then changing my perspective and focus of attention to the very very small mm-hmm. suddenly my property now is a whole new world of amazing bugs and and yes. and things on the that very tiny level that um really is awesome Yes. Um, and so just, yeah, just that shift of perspective and, and focus and suddenly a whole new world opens up. I, I had an experience not too long ago, kind of lying on a picnic blanket and just kind of looking over um, and seeing a small sort of, you know, little insects walking around, little ants or whatever. And you're like, when you really get into that world, it completely puts things like my life is that is the most important thing in their world is like this little one foot patch of dirt (laughs) and that that is life um and we're all interconnected we share a common ancestor i mean it's really amazing but i love that example too about uh your five-year-old um grandkid because kids are a great example as well of like you know a lot of the time we think oh adults have to teach kids how to you know whatever but i think with awe it's actually the other way around we need to yeah. learn from kids like how to keep these this childlike sense of wonder going because we lose it somewhere along the way right and we kind of get numb to things and we yeah. have blinders on and and rediscovering that magic is is beautiful yeah. so oh, it's, those, it's, are, those it's, were great examples both of them yeah it's, it's grand permission uh, me and stevie we we just go off and we we uh, uh so she uh, the five-year-old takes her um uh, 68 going on five-year-old grandpa. <laughs> I love it. Off we go. Yeah. I have to say, I'm very jealous that writing is one of your flow states. I mean, well, I, I, I should clarify though, just mm. for the sake of, you know, honesty, when I've got all the notes and the outline and it's time to sit down and just crank that out once I've kind of done the uh, legwork. Then it flows, then, and I'm okay. I'm okay. But I wouldn't say like <laughs> pouring over the texts and you know transferring the references. And there's a lot of non-flow states in the writing process. But if I could just sit down and write, that's that's flow. So it all depends on which part we're talking about. Okay, not not so jealous now. No, no it's just. But it was interesting. We we're, were looking at uh, flow and some other work I was doing before, yeah. and, and there were we were um, there was a Sufi dancer, uh, a famous famous Sufi dancer, and and of course Sufi dancer is just this spinning uh, process that goes. And the idea is you get in the spin, you get into this enormous uh, meditative state, and you you uh, you you do this wonderful thing. And so the interviewer said, "It must be wonderful doing what you do because you know every time you dance, you have this incredible experience." And and the dancer said, no, that is why I dance. I dance not because I go into that experience every time. It's because I only go into the experience sometimes, mm-hmm. and it's worth dancing every time for it to happen. 
And he actually called it the genius. And I've heard people talk about this, that we are not geniuses ourselves, but we tap into the genius, the extraordinary, the the awesome, the wonderful, the magnificent. And uh, and that was why uh, he continued to dance, because it didn't happen every time. No, yeah. and that makes total sense, though. I mean, through that lens of flow, where if it was, you know, some of the, the, the reason that it's so self-gratifying is like you're on that nexus of your ability and the challenge, right? And you're constantly just trying to get one step beyond your current comfort zone. And sometimes you reach it, sometimes you don't, right? I think the same thing with musicians, with great athletes where, you know, sometimes you don't have it. And then sometimes you have that, you know, Michael Jordan type moment where everything's happening and it's like, that's the moment. Um, But yeah, if it happened every time, it wouldn't be special, which I think also has a good reminder too of life in general that, you know, I think we we talk about happiness and we, it's easy to think about like, oh, that's just all about the cheerful stuff and the good stuff. And I think to me, genuine full, you know, happiness, real happiness comes in the context of the full spectrum of our experience, right? In, including pain, including sadness, including grief, including loss. And that it's, you know, if we could surgically excise all those painful emotions from our catalog, it would be a really bad idea. Like we want to have that. We just also simultaneously want to find ways to not live in the pain, to not be stuck in that place, right? To kind of come out of it through the types of skills that um, that we talked about here today. But it's about, you know, both in the full integration of the two. Fantastic. Now, I just wanted to, um, well, most of our listeners would be in, you know, mental health, they're mental health professionals. Mm-hmm. And so I'd like to pitch your book to to them oh, as well, as you. much as your book is in the in the self-help sort of genre. Yeah. Um, I think this is a great um, collection of of tools. It's a, you know, it's, a, it's another, another toolbox um, of things. And I think it, this would be very valuable um, for clinicians as well, um, not only Thank to you. pass on to clients, yeah. but, but also um, to glean for themselves so that they can basically, you know, replicate what you do. That was definitely my hope in writing it is that, yes, it could be something that the general public or clients could benefit from, but also that clinicians could be able to, you know, and, and even ideally as a clinician, be able to read like one or two chapters, if it, you know, and, and be like, I want to just get a sort of a warp speed version of the, you know, the, the benefits of self-compassion or gratitude and how to apply that after hardship and kind of go from there with some skills to do it. So, yeah, I think uh, it can be hopefully appropriate. That was the idea with all kinds of different audiences. So hopefully if you're a clinician out there listening, happily even after um, is something you want to check out. And I also want to just one more plug. Uh, I've I've started to give away a free for anybody, whether you're a a clinician or the public, um, a free e-guide on 10 Habits for Happiness uh, if you sign up for my newsletter through my website. So if you go to jonahpeckett.com, uh, for a time limited period, I'm giving that away, and it kind of gives you some some free information that you can download um, there. And if you want to unsubscribe after that, you're welcome to. No hard feelings. But <laughs> yeah. no, that, no, but that's fabulous. So, I mean, it was it, it was interesting what we were just saying about the the, the personal stuff and the interpersonal uh, as therapists are uh, more interpersonal. But it, someone put it very wisely, and I'm, uh, I, I'm just thinking it might have been Ernie Rossi, or it might have been me. I don't know, but uh, but just saying almost anything we can do personally, uh, we can do interpersonally. And so it's very important for uh, therapists to understand what what we can do uh, and what can be done personally. And uh, as I say, so we can recognize uh, what they're doing and we can offer and the other person can recognize what we're offering. Uh, So 
uh, it, it's really important, I think, for therapists to look at some of the the valuable um, uh, self help stuff that's got a, a or, or self development work as well as client as as therapist development work so it's really all the one thing in the in, the, in the end round yeah yeah especially in this time now where we are so disconnected often and lonely yes. and isolated that whether it's in our relationships whether it's with a you know therapist client dyad like the more that we can talk about and, and bring this stuff up but in a way that's relational i think it's going to be that much more impactful on on a person for sure Fantastic. Jonah, it's always a pleasure to catch up with you. Oh, right and, back uh, at you. <laughs> see all the wonderful things that you're doing and writing. And uh, we'll be sure to put uh, links in the show notes for everybody um, so that you can also chase Jonah down um, and see where he's at. So thank you once again. Pleasure as always. Great to see you both. Yeah, it's beautiful. And I think the, the last comments you made were, were just fabulous and a, a great wrap up for the for the experience we had today. And we look forward yeah. to uh, doing the next one. Uh, Absolutely. When, you know, whenever that comes. And, and <laughs> you know, maybe the science of psychotherapy can bring out Jonah Paquette. Mm, yeah, yeah, we gotta start we gotta start thinking about things, you know, get a few people and maybe put together yeah, any beer. Yeah, <laughs> we, we, we owe each other that beer. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> okay, thanks, Jonah. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Always enjoy talking to Jonah. Uh, yeah. You know, it's um, uh, it, it, it's beautiful the way that, and I love the way you brought that in at the end there, correlating or, or, or giving an equal framework to the individual uh, mm -hmm. sort of self-development work and the work that we do as therapists where we're working on ourselves and able to express that across the space with, with our clients. And I think uh, uh, Jonah gives the therapist a lot of really good tools and um, yeah. readily available things that clients are really receptive to, and that's fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, you know, like I, I've got my fair share of very uh, heavy theoretical books on psychotherapy. We can um, see them behind, yes. But I love, I love some of the the very the more simplistic and, and practical ones written for the everyday person. I glean a lot from that, yeah. not only for myself but for yeah. my clients as well. Yeah, and it's very hard to make things uh, easy and straightforward. Mm. Jon Jonah does yeah. it really, really well. Um, but right. I guess we're at the end of our experience. Uh, um, mm -hmm. Quick reminder again, everybody, jump on. These podcasts are great. Uh, you can go, you can see our podcasts on uh, YouTube as well. So you can yep. uh, watch us do things. And uh, <laughs> uh, uh, and remember that when we go in and we you'll find sometimes our podcasts are combined with a couple of articles in the academy and you can answer some questions and get yourself a certificate for CEU points, which is uh, – an important usefulness of the learning beyond just our self-development. Fantastic. Well, as always, thank you everyone for joining us here on the Science of Psychotherapy podcast, and we'll catch you next time. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. For more great science, go to thescienceofpsychotherapy.com.